0: Today on The Matt Wall Show, Media Matters and some others on the left were upset by my analysis of the modern dating scene. Apparently, I'm told that my point of view on the subject is old-fashioned and reactionary, and they're not necessarily wrong about that. Also, a truck carrying infected monkeys from a lab escaped from their cages during a highway accident. Why are these labs allowed to dump pathogens all over the globe without any consequence? That's a question. And Robert F. Kennedy Jr. made a Holocaust analogy during his speech at the anti-mandate protest on Sunday. And yesterday, his own wife came out and denounced him for it. Plus, Kamala Harris lists the most vulnerable victim groups in America, and the list seems to have expanded to encompass every group except one, of course. And finally, Hollywood actor Peter Dinklage says that the dwarves in Snow White are offensive. And the story only gets dumber from there, I promise you. We'll talk about all that and more today on The Matt Walsh Show. Ronald Reagan saw it 40 years ago, massive inflation that we haven't seen since, well, uh, until today. In his own words, inflation is is as violent as a mugger, as frightening as an armed robber, and as deadly as a hitman. Right now, your retirement accounts are under attack thanks to the inflationary policies of this current administration. If you have not yet called Birch Gold the only people I trust to help you diversify your 401ks and IRAs into gold, then you're missing the boat. Actually, you're treading water without a life vest or a boat at all. Birch Gold has your life vest, They're here to help. Let them help you convert an IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold. With thousands of satisfied customers and an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, you can trust Birch Gold to protect your savings. Text Walsh to 989898 to get a free info kit on gold. Reagan knew the biggest threat to our wealth, and uh, this is what we're solving. Protect yours now. Text Walsh again to 989898 to get your free info kit now. There was a little bit of a delayed reaction, but finally yesterday, uh, Tuesday, the the usual suspects decided to be offended by my show on Monday where we talked about, among other things, the perils of modern dating. And as you might recall, during the course of that conversation, I observed that one of the myriad problems with the dating scene is that there are far too many options, which are arranged far too conveniently and superficially on dating apps for you to scroll through like you're shopping for a mate on Amazon or something. We've talked about the familiar. Uh, irony of, of modern life where the surplus of choices tends to paralyze us. It breeds indecision and anxiety. You know, you're afraid to pick one thing because you're aware that there are a million other options. How can you know that this is the right one? Why not just hold out for the next one and the one after that and the one after that forever? Now, I'm far from the first person to point this out. As much as I'd like to take credit for the insight, I certainly can't. The paradox of choice is something that many cultural critics and analysts have noticed over the years. In fact, one of them wrote a book called The Paradox of Choice about this very problem, specifically as it relates to consumers. Another book that touches on these themes, which I read a few months ago, is called uh, The World Beyond Your Head by Matthew Crawford, which I highly recommend. And he talks about how craftsmen will use a strategy called jigging, which intentionally limits or constrains their environment so that they can work in a more focused and efficient way. So again, we see the, the paradox. Limitations can be freeing in that they enable you to accomplish one particular task, achieve one particular goal, in an environment specifically and specially designed for it. What we find is that in a world without limitation, where everyone can do everything, nobody ends up doing anything. I think this is part of the story with dating. I also mentioned, as one brief aside, that arranged marriages, which is a system that has been in place historically in many cultures... Uh, That exists on the opposite end of this spectrum. They are the extreme antithesis of our current approach to dating. I said that even that, even arranged marriages, would be preferable to our current system. And not too surprisingly, that is the one single sentence in a 14-minute discussion of dating that the left has latched onto. So first, Media Matters published their urgent headline, Daily Wire host endorses arranged marriages. It is without a doubt superior to our system. That's quoting me. Then uh, my good friend Jason Campbell over at Media Matters posted the clip to Twitter, and from there, some of the left-wing blogs and YouTube channels picked it up. And um, as a consequence of all of this, my inbox this morning was full of some very interesting commentary, much of it revolving around the theme that I am a horrible, backwards, archaic caveman, and I deserve to die a painful and humiliating death. So really just your average Wednesday, I suppose. Of course, contrary to the claims made by my critics here, I didn't say that arranged marriages are the best option, just that they're better than our current system which I'll say again because it's true. I also think that literally anything would be better than our current system. A national lottery pulling names out of a hat and pairing couples up that way would be better. You could have someone, in fact, I'll volunteer for this job. You could have someone just walk down the street and point to random people like you, marry her. You two, get married. And that would be better. Which speaks not to the wisdom of that alternative, but to the disastrous nature of our modern approach. Best system. The one that I actually do advocate for is, as I said, courtship. You might call that dating with a purpose, goal-oriented dating, whatever label you want to put on it. The point is that couples begin dating with the goal of marriage in mind. Now, I've been criticized quite a bit for that suggestion as well because it is, I'm told, old-fashioned, out-of-touch, reactionary, and I'll gladly embrace all those labels. But one of the great advantages of the courtship system is that at the moment that either member in this partnership realizes that they cannot or do not want to marry the other person, the relationship is broken off, the marital interview process is concluded, and both can now go and seek different applicants. They don't have to waste so much of their time. Because there is a determined end point, which is either marriage or not marriage. And once you realize you've you've gotten to that point, or it's going to be a marriage, or you know that there's not going to be any marriage, Now you can move to the next phase, which would be marriage or just going your separate ways. Now, there's no guarantee that anybody who adopts this strategy will immediately find the love of their lives and live happily ever after. Even if you get married, as we all know, that certainly is no guarantee that you'll live happily ever after. Because you have to live day by day and moment by moment. We don't live in like chunks where you can just cross some kind of threshold and announce, well, I've done this. So now the next 50 years of my life will be happy and fulfilled. Doesn't work that way. If you want a happy and fulfilled life or a happy and fulfilled marriage, you have to make that choice every day and renew it the next day and the next day and the day after that forever and ever. Love is an act of will. It's a choice. It's not merely an emotion. The emotional experience of love is, if anything, a byproduct. It's not the fuel that keeps your marriage running. The fuel is the choice you both make to serve each other, sacrifice for each other, and remain loyal and faithful. This is another problem, this overemphasis on emotions, where emotions, our emotional um, fulfillment on purely an emotional level is the entire point for a lot of people. That's what they think. And the problem is that emotions come and go. They ebb and flow. Emotions are fleeting. And so they, they go off and they get married and they're, they're feeling the, the emotional rush the honeymoon. We we talk about the honeymoon, and and uh, you know, these days we say honeymoon, and we're talking about the week long vacation that you take to Europe or a cruise or whatever. But traditionally, honeymoon is a phase of marriage early on, and that's when your emotions are are, are kicked into a uh, you know high gear and and all of the, those things. And there's this infatuation, and when that starts to settle down a little bit, people that are guided only by their emotions they'll say, oh well, I guess this wasn't the right one. In fact, I just read an article about. Um, uh, Pamela Anderson, who unfortunately is just divorced, I think it's her fifth husband. And for some reason, I read the the article, and it quotes her or someone familiar with her as saying that, "Oh, she she realized that uh, he's not the one." So she's like in her sixties now, and she just left her fifth guy, oh, because he's not the one. She's still pursuing the one. What do you, what do you think you're looking for? You're, you're looking for someone who will give you that emotional satisfaction every second of the day forever. And the moment those emotions fade away for even a moment, then you say, well, this is not the one for me. Now, in order to even get in the door and have the chance to maintain a marriage or, or screw it up, you have to go into your dating quest with a sense of purpose. Life in America today is plagued by purposelessness. You've heard me talk about this many times because I think it's our, I think it's our central problem. This is related to the issue of there being too many choices. It makes that problem all the worse because how are you supposed to know how to navigate all the choices and select the right option if you don't know what you're looking for or why you're looking for it in the first place? Americans are experiencing record levels of despair and anxiety, not because there's some mysterious mental illness going around, but because many people have no sense of meaning or purpose in their lives. This attitude is brought into their relationships and their pursuit of relationships, and it's why the dating scene is so miserable and marriage rates are plummeting. I suggest that we restore our sense of meaning and purpose. And that's a suggestion that is treated as controversial by those who would prefer for everyone to remain mentally paralyzed and in despair. Now let's get to our five headlines. Well, the pro-life movement has a lot of momentum right now, and it has to keep it going. And what better way to help that than by supporting the charities and causes that you care about? Even if the Supreme Court were to strike down Roe v. Wade, abortion will still exist in America in many, many states. That's why the pro-life movement continues and will uh, will always be necessary in our culture. Charity Mobile is the pro-life phone company. They partner with you to automatically support the pro-life, pro-family charity of your choice with 5% of your monthly plan price. New activations and eligible accounts get a free cell phone with free activation and free shipping. When you mention offer code Walsh, certain restrictions apply. Charity Mobile makes it easy to switch as well. You can keep your existing phone number. Might even be able to keep your existing phone as well, but if you need a new phone, no problem there. Charity Mobile has a variety of options from the latest 5G phones to low cost smartphones and basic phones as well. All of their monthly plans include unlimited domestic minutes and messages, which can be shared by up to eight lines on a family plan. There are no contracts, no termination fees, and no risk with a 30-day guarantee. Switch to Charity Mobile and support the causes you care about. Call them at 1-877-474-3662 or chat with them online at charitymobile.com and mention offer code Walsh. All right, we'll start with this from Fox 8. Maybe you've heard this story, but here's the latest. Um, A woman who came into close contact with an escaped monkey on the side of an interstate in Pennsylvania said she developed pink eye-like symptoms and is now on preventative medication. Wonderful. Wonderful. A truck hauling uh, 100 monkeys from Africa was headed to a lab in Missouri when it collided with a dump truck on fri- Friday at, at, uh, on Route 54 and Interstate 80 in Valley Township. Michelle Fallon of Danville said she pulled over to help the driver. Fallon said, I thought I was just doing the right thing by helping. I had no idea it would turn out this way. He just asked if his trailer was okay. He never said, if you do come near a crate, don't touch it. Uh, if he would have told me that, I would have been more careful. That's when she came face to face with an agitated monkey, which hissed in her face. Three monkeys in all, in all escaped during the ordeal. During the search, officials warned the public not to come near the monkeys because they would transmit disease. She said, quote, I was close to the monkeys. I touched the crates. I walked through their feces, so I was very close. So I called to inquire, was I safe? And um, then apparently she was told by the CDC that, uh, you know, well, basically the CDC told her, eh, maybe not. You might not be safe, actually. So monitor your symptoms. And... Um, and she has, and now she's developing symptoms. So, fantastic. Now, a couple couple things here. Just a, a good rule of thumb that um, hopefully it, it will, we'll never. We'll, most of us won't get to a point where we're going to have to actually put this into action. But a good rule of thumb: if you do encounter a situation like this, is um, don't help clean up spilled monkeys on the highway. That's a that's a good rule. Now. I do put a lot of the blame on the driver here. He's the one who got into the accident. And also, he didn't think to mention when some woman gets out of her car and comes over and says, hey, how you doing? Everything okay? And then he he asks her if everything's okay in the back of the truck and doesn't even mention, oh, by the way, this truck is full of virus-infected monkeys, so get the hell away from us. So I, I put a lot of the blame on him, and I don't mean the victim blame here, but the moment that you see that there are cages with animals inside them. Don't go anywhere near them. Just get in your car and drive away. Uh, there, there are people who are supposed to be equipped to deal with these kinds of situations, and it's not you. I think the great the greater issue here is that this is that we know of at least maybe the third occasion where potentially a virus has escaped from um, a lab, or a virus that was headed to a lab escapes on its way there. We know about the big one in Wuhan, and there are some very good indications that, uh, although no one has told us this and they probably never will officially tell us, just like they haven't officially admitted it in Wuhan and never will, but there are indications that uh, Omnicorn escaped from a lab or somehow got out of a lab in, in South Africa. And now we've got this here. So this this is what this is what gets me. Uh, If I want to build a patio in my backyard, I need to get 37 permits to do it because of all the the safety concerns, apparently, of having a patio in my own backyard. At our old house, we we were doing renovations inside our home and somebody from the county showed up because I guess a, a, a very helpful neighbor noticed that we had a lot of construction workers and things coming in and out of the house. And, and they decided very helpfully to call the county and alert them. And so this guy from the county shows up and says, hey, what are you guys doing here? What's going on? At, what do you mean, what am I doing here? Um, it's none of your business. It's in our house. Get the hell off my property. You creep. So that's what happens if you try to you know do anything in your own home, try to build a patio, uh, you know, r- renovate inside or outside of your home. God forbid you try to build some kind of extension on your home. The permitting process for that is basically impossible. Probably 90% of people, and I know this from experience, who've even thought about building any kind of addition or extension on their home, 90% probably give up because once they realize how many permits they have to get just to do it and how expensive and complicated the process is. So that's what if you want to, you know, that's that's everyday life for just regular Americans, even in your own home. Then you talk to business owners. All the red tape they have to clear, all the permits and licenses and everything they have to get and then get renewed and everything else. All of the ridiculous oversight, the bureaucracies they have to navigate. And yet these virus labs are allowed to just deposit Dangerous pathogens all over the planet, and no one, it just, there's no accountability. Nobody even gets a fine. Has anybody even been fined? Has there even been like a $50 fine for killing five million people by letting a virus out in, in Wuhan? Has, has, that e- has, has that even happened? And now you've got monkeys. That all have viruses and you put them in the back of just a truck, a regular truck, and, and bring it down the highway? And there's no there's no oversight process there. Apparently. I guess that's that's you know, that's less dangerous than me building a patio or me building a fence that's over four feet tall or whatever the arbitrary limit is for when you need a permit for those things. All right, um, so at the, mandate, at the anti-mandate protest on Sunday, RFK Jr. upset some people when he uh, made a Holocaust comparison. And we know now that Holocaust comparisons are suddenly no longer acceptable. Um, so that's another change in the rules. So you can update your rule book. But first, let's listen to what he said on Sunday.
1: Even in Hitler's Germany, you could, you could cross the Alps into Switzerland. You can hide in an attic like Anne Frank did. I visited in 1962 East Germany with my father and met people who had climbed the wall and escaped. So it was possible. Many died trying, it, but it was possible. Today, the mechanisms are being put in place that will make it so none of us can run and none of us can hide. The, within five years, we're going to see 415,000 low-orbit satellites Bill Gates says his 65,000 satellites alone will be able to look at every square inch of the planet 24 hours a day. They're putting in 5G to harvest our data and control our behavior. Digital currency that will allow them to punish us from a distance and cut off our food supply. Vaccine passports.
0: Okay, so he makes the the uh, Holocaust analogy, and uh, you're you're not allowed to do that anymore, apparently. Uh, well, it it very much depends on what you're talking about, because as we know, the left and the media spent four years, every single day, multiple times a day. There was probably not a there was not an occasion over four years, there was not not, not a day went by where you could turn on cable news, CNN, MSNBC, or MSNBC, and not hear some kind of Hitler or Holocaust or Nazi analogy related to uh, Trump and his supporters. So they can do that, But now, and they'll still do it as it relates to Trump and his supporters and conservatives in general. Yet God forbid anyone on the right or anyone in, a, in an unsanctioned way draws a, histor- a Holocaust analogy. Not only is will they say it's inaccurate, but it's somehow... Unbelievably unthinkably offensive. And it's anti-Semitic, they say. Which let's let's just get make one thing very clear here. Um, The majority of the Holocaust analogies and Hitler analogies that are made across the ideological spectrum, the majority of them are uh, oftentimes off-base and ridiculous. It doesn't make them anti-Semitic. Because the reason why people draw these analogies, there's two reasons why these are the most common analogies that people draw. Um, And uh, one is that it's a a bad thing. So the person making the analogy, there's, there's, there's something bad that they don't like. And so they're trying to highlight how bad it is by comparing it to this other very bad thing. Now, you could disagree with the analogy on historical grounds. But the point is not to diminish the severity of the Holocaust. The point is to emphasize the severity of this other thing they're comparing it to. Even if they're wrong, it's not anti-Semitic. And the other reason why these analogies come up so often is that uh, you know, most people don't have a very comprehensive understanding of, of even recent history. There's only There are only a few historical events that most people even know about enough to draw any kind of analogy, and World War II and Hitler is one of them, so that's why those analogies come up. This is how silly it is, that, you know, if you were to say, you know, if you compare something to a concentration camp, for example, and again, only if you're on the right, so that's that's the qualification here, we know that, but if you're on the right, and you compare something to concentration camps, um, eh, that's, oh, you can't do that, that's horrible, that's, that's, that's the worst thing in the world, Yet, you, you could compare, you know, take the exact same thing and, and talk about, uh, compare it to the gulags and say, oh, they're going to start shipping us off to the gulags eventually. And somehow that's not offensive. <laughs> when Stalin um, killed more people than Hitler did, tens of millions of people were murdered by the Soviet regime. And you could draw those comparisons perfectly fine for some reason. There was just, a, there was a guest on, uh, I saw the, the the video on Twitter this morning. There was a guest on, um, oh, here it is. Yeah, a guest on CNN who said that Virginia has become a Soviet-style police state. Because, And the reason, of course, it's a Soviet-style police state is that uh, Glenn Youngkin allows kids to go to school without a mask on. Now, putting aside how absurd that comparison is, it's like the opposite, right? This is... This is uh, him withdrawing. Him saying, no, the the government is not going to force you to cover your face when you go out in public now. This is more freedom. And so more freedom equals a Soviet-style police state, but even putting that aside. So that's a, we're we're allowed to draw those comparisons? Again, the Soviet-style police state killed tens of millions of people. Um, But Nonetheless, people were very upset about this, and um, even RFK Jr.'s wife, Cheryl Hines, who's, uh, I guess, a Hollywood actress, and I know she's on Curb Your Enthusiasm, and maybe she's been on other stuff as well, but she put out a tweet yesterday morning, and it says, My husband's reference to Anne Frank at a mandate rally in D.C. was reprehensible and insensitive. The atrocities that millions endured during the Holocaust should never be compared to anyone or anything. His opinions are not a reflection of my own. Should never be compared to anyone or anything. Yet this is, I'm guessing, the first such comparison. Even though those comparisons are made every single day on cable news and on the internet, this is the first such comparison that she's been offended by. Not to mention, should never be. I I agree that it's too often compared to to, um, other things, but never. So there's nothing that could ever happen that would be analogous to it? Uh, And then Robert F. Kennedy Jr., not long after that, says, I apologize for my reference to Anne Frank, especially to families that suffered the Holocaust horrors. My intention was to use examples of past barbarism to show the perils from new technologies of control. Uh, To the extent my remarks caused hurt, I am truly and deeply sorry. Well, you know how I feel about the public apology. Perfect example of why that's a genre which should be abolished. Um, He's apologizing to the people that he's hurt. He hasn't hurt anybody. Nobody was actually hurt by this. Who's, who's the who's the person? There's no way you could survive in modern America, or especially on the internet, if you're hurt by uh, hi, you know hyperbolic Holocaust comparisons, considering they're all over the place. So nobody was hurt by that. I apologize to those who I who I hurt. Well, you didn't hurt anybody. They were happy. Okay, they were happy for the opportunity. They were pleased with it because there's this huge global march against mandates and for freedom. And um, they don't like that. They don't like the fact that so many people are, are coming together over this issue a- across the ideological spectrum, in fact. And they're looking for a way to change the subject and for a reason to be offended. And you gave it to them. So they're they're happy. They're very happy that you, that you made that comparison. But apologizing to the mob on your own behalf is bad enough. Apologizing to the mob on your spouse's behalf is uh, takes it to a new level of pathetic and cowardly. You know, maybe th- This, again, maybe goes to me being old-fashioned. You know, I guess I was just raised a little bit differently, but you, you never denounce your family or your spouse in public. Ever. I don't care what they said. Especially not over something like this. But I don't give a damn what he said. It could have been the worst thing anyone's ever said about anything. You don't go in front of the the mob and denounce your own husband. How about some loyalty? How about some faithfulness? You've got a problem, you pull your spouse aside and talk to them in person. You don't, you don't throw your spouse to the wolves and say, oh get him, not me, no, that's not me we're different. So much for uh, to death do we part I suppose um, that's it, and again it does it, it doesn't even matter what he said. And this is also a very good lesson here um, because a really good case study because she she comes out denounces her, her husband, and bows before the mob, and says, I'm not with him. I mean, I'm married to him, but I'm not with him. And you read the comments under that tweet from the left, and are any of them satisfied? You take a guess. Are any of them saying, oh, okay, well, all right, I'm, I'm glad that you denounced him. You two are are, are separate, and or we're just mad at him, not you, but you're good. Is anyone saying that? No. Every single one of them saying, oh, "That's that's not enough. This is too too little, too late. You shouldn't have married him in the first place. You really want to prove something to us. Now you have to divorce him. Divorce him and then come talk. And she might, in fact, do that. And when she does that, of course, that's not going to be enough either. It's the same story we've seen a million times. You try to appease the mob. And not only is that a cowardly and pathetic move, but it's also futile. Even if you could appease the mob by throwing your spouse under the bus, it would still be the wrong thing to do. But you can't even appease them anyway. It won't work. So you might as well just be loyal then. All right, I missed this yesterday, but this is great. Um, From the Daily Wire... It says, it sounds like Spotify will need to choose a side. Musician Neil Young issued a bold ultimatum and a now deleted message to his management team and record label. The letter said the 76-year-old musician was planning to refuse the the music streaming service access to his catalog of albums until they cut ties with podcast host Joe Rogan. Young shared in the letter, quote, please act on this immediately today and keep me informed of the time schedule. I want you to let Spotify know immediately that I want all my music off their platform. They can have Joe Rogan or Young, not both. Now, Joe Rogan is by far the biggest attraction on on Spotify. He makes them hundreds of millions of dollars. Whereas Neil Young makes them, I don't know, hundreds of dollars at most. This is like me storming into Jeremy's office and saying, listen, you can have Ben Shapiro or me. It's Shapiro or Walsh, not both. Okay, well, we'll take Ben then, definitely. Oh, well, uh, you know what? Never mind. Forget we had this conversation. And the other great thing here is that apparently Neil Young doesn't even own his catalog. He sold the rights to his catalog. So not only is he making an ultimatum, he's, he's making the probably the least effective threat in the history of threats, but he, he doesn't have the right to make the threat because he does not own his own music. That's what happens when you sell the rights to the catalog. Good stuff from uh, from Neil Young. Yet another aging hippie, by the way, who used to pretend to be um, you know, against the system and the man and all of that. And now he's coming out strongly and in, in support of the man. All right, Kamala Harris speaking who knows where or why. Uh, I don't really think that matters. Well, she's at the White House, but what is she talking about? I don't know. Here's what she had to say
2: we are focused on the most vulnerable and based on my experience the most vulnerable are women and girls racial and ethnic minorities lgbtqi plus people indigenous people people with disabilities migrants and children in the foster care system when we identify who is most vulnerable we can tailor our tactics and improve our strategy.
0: Okay, so the most vulnerable people are, I think I have the list here, um, and this is based on her experience, she says. So she knows, it's based on her experience. Uh, the most vulnerable are women and girls, but what are those? She, she wouldn't be able to tell us that. Uh, racial and ethnic minorities, LGBTQI plus people, indigenous people, people with disabilities, migrants, and children in the foster care system. So in other words, um, everyone, everyone is the most vulnerable person except straight white males. And it'd be a lot easier and quicker to just come out and say that. I I am here to protect and I care about everyone except straight white males. And I guess there's one other group, which would be children in the womb. Now notice how she says, she she doesn't just say children, which in, in fact, children are a vulnerable group. Um, that's that's one category of person that belongs in this in this uh, in this list. Uh, most of the rest of them don't. LGBT people are are vulnerable in, in, in what way? Certainly not vulnerable to any kind of systemic oppression. These are the most celebrated and visible people pound for pound of, of any group in America probably in the history of the United States. There has never been such a concerted, all-encompassing effort to specifically celebrate and prop up any group of people the way that we do with LGBT. Um, And uh, a similar thing can be said for many of these other groups. Children, though, are a vulnerable group. But she's very specific about it. She says children in the foster care system, which, agreed, they're vulnerable too, very vulnerable. What about children in the womb? They have no legal rights whatsoever. Their moral worth is not recognized by many people in this country. It's not recognized by the legal system. They have zero human rights. 60 million of them have been executed. They have been subject to the worst um, mass execution, sy- systematic execution in history. So, but those are the two that we're leaving out. Straight white men and uh and Women, uh, children in the womb, rather. All right, one other thing here. A report on insider.com that was making the rounds yesterday online. It says, black teachers are overwhelmed by increased responsibilities at schools, and it's making some quit the profession. we go to the article. It says, uh, circling the school hallways, reminding students throughout the day to raise their masks over their nose and mouth, has become Xavier McDougald's new normal. The San Francisco teacher told Insider that every time he walks into the school he teaches at, He's on patrol duty as the mask enforcer. His health and his students' health are critical, he told Insider. That's why he doesn't understand why there is a national debate during the most infectious point of the pandemic so far on whether students and teachers should be ushered back into the classroom. McDougald said, I feel like a lot of administration is choosing not to see it from a teacher's perspective. People are still getting COVID. It was hard teaching online, but I just think it's more worth it to stay online. Yeah, more worth it to you to stay online. It, it, because you say it was hard teaching online. It wasn't hard for you. You get to stay home. You get you get a glorified vacation. It um, And it's kind of all the same to you, especially if you don't really care. Now, for teachers who actually care about their kids and are worried about the information getting across and the kids absorbing the information, for those teachers, um, uh, online teaching was very, very difficult. And I've heard from many teachers like that. It brought them a lot of distress to know how futile all of this was mm-hmm. and the fact that, that these kids are not absorbing the information, they're not getting what they need. But to somebody like this who doesn't really care about the kids and is totally self-centered, as is already obvious from everything we've heard here, um, it's, teaching online was not hard at all. It was hard on the kids. But then there's also the question of why why the focus on black teachers here? Well, when does this become racial? Let's keep, uh, let's keep reading. Um, Let's see. Insider spoke to black teachers who said the last two years have been the hardest of their careers. They become the mask enforcers, juggled heated discussions on education curriculum, and they become the -the on-the-job racial sensitivity educators after the murder of George Floyd. Nikita Gibbs Nolan said, when this pandemic first hit, I was actually as the uh, union rep having weekly meetings with teachers to ask, how are you doing? Because it was so overwhelming to some people. Some people were considering quitting. Some people were fearful of going back. Um, and then, uh, going on more complaints. McDougal said from microaggressions triggered by supervisors to clogs in career advancements simply because of how they run their classroom for black teachers. It has always been difficult. And now with the pandemic teachers told insider it's worth worse rather in the study, black teachers said administrators didn't acknowledge their contributions and peers questioned their intelligence and curriculum choices or viewed their assertiveness as anger. McDougald said in his experience after Floyd's murder, he spent a lot of time educating the predominantly white staff at his school on cultural competency, but they didn't put the information into practice. Quote, I felt like it's been mostly my responsibility to fill in the gaps. I also feel like it's an extra burden to be a disciplinarian. And as a black male that teaches, I'm tall and I have a deeper voice. I do try to use it to my advantage. Okay. So this is a poor guy you know he he was educating the other adults around him telling them what they're supposed to do and and some of them didn't do it he was instructing the other adults the white people and uh, and they have to listen to him because they're white and and probably a lot of them did but but some of them can you believe what this man has to go through in his life that there are some white people who who he could he could look them right in the eye and tell them what to do and what to think, and they still refuse to do it. Truly, no one has suffered like this man. Or woman, I forget who it is. And then also, uh, the complaints about, oh, our, our, uh, our contributions aren't being recognized. You know, there's misunderstandings at work. Sometimes when I assert myself, people accuse me of being angry. Hey, look, I've got news for you here. That's the case for every person on earth. Every person, especially every person at every job, in every profession, in every position, feels as though their contributions aren't being sufficiently recognized. That's everyone. And also, for every person, when you try to assert yourself, sometimes it can come off as angry. I know that from experience. So these are, as we often see, um, universal facts of the human experience and yet because everything's put into a racial framework now someone who's bought into the racial framework if they're part of a racial minority and they experience one of these universal facts of human existence more, one of the more uncomfortable facts of human existence they they immediately assume because this is the framework that they have that oh it must be it must be racism even though every white person experiences it too when it happens to me it has to be racism certain ill logic to that I would say. Well, if you've ever experienced nausea and vomiting, which I think everyone has at some time or another, uh, whether for motion sickness, anxiety, morning sickness, or another condition, you, ha- you know how quickly your body can turn from calm and balanced to a red alert crisis mode. And if you're afflicted by the special condition of motion sickness in cars, like I am, uh, you know how anxiety-inducing that can be when you feel like you have to hurl and you're in the back of an Uber or something. And they probably won't appreciate it. That's why I've got great news. Relief Band is the number one FDA-cleared anti-nausea wristband that's been clinically proven to quickly relieve and effectively prevent nausea and vomiting associated with motion sickness and anxiety, migraines, hangovers, morning sickness, chemotherapy, and so much more. The product is 100% drug-free, non-drowsy, and provides all-natural, long-lasting release with relief with zero side effects for as long as needed. How it works is relief band stimulates a nerve in the wrist that travels to the part of your brain that controls nausea. Then it blocks the signal your brain is sending to your stomach telling you that you're sick. It sounds complicated, but uh, it's actually simple. You just put the relief band on and the nausea goes away. It makes for a great gift any time of year. Right now, they've got an exclusive offer just for Matt Walsh listeners. If you go to reliefband.com and use promo code Walsh, you'll receive 20% off plus free shipping and a no-questions-asked 30-day money-back guarantee. So head to R-E-L-I-E-F-B-A-N-D.com and use our code Walsh for 20% off plus free shipping. Let's get to the comment section.
1: Who makes a Twitter mob fly off the handle with rage? Who's to
3: blame? It's a sweet baby gang.
0: All right, if you want to leave a video comment or submit a video comment, you can go to dailywire.com slash sweetbabycomments. And let's go to the uh, video and start with clip nine.
2: Hey Matt, we are on day six of homeschool. We decided to pull out our four kids, ages 11, 8, and seven. Thanks to a lot of the stuff that we heard, just giving us the confidence to make that switch. And I wanted to share a short story with you that when we went to pick up our kids from school and all their supplies, uh, stopped by one of the teacher's classrooms. And she asked if my son could come back for the honor roll celebration that they would be having off campus because they weren't allowed to have it on campus this year. And when I asked her why that was, as the celebration was usually on campus, she had told me that our school had done away with honor roll because it was making kids feel bad who did not make the honor roll. That just uh, gave me even more confidence in our decision to pull them out, and just wanted to get your thoughts on the lack of observing excellence and promoting greatness and rewarding those kids who work hard and do well. SBG for life.
0: You know, first of all, um, my house sounds exactly like your house, so it's always refreshing to to hear other parents in their natural environment. with children running around and screaming like uh, like jungle animals in the background because that, that's my house as well. So I do appreciate that. As for the rest of it, congratulations on embarking on your homeschool journey. There, there are a lot of reasons why this will be better than public school, but the thing you mentioned is certainly one reason um, where excellence is not rewarded or encouraged in the public school system the way that it should be and the way that uh, maybe at one time it used to be. But it's kind of a two-fold problem because, yes, schools are often no longer rewarding and recognizing excellence. They're trying to smash everyone together in the mediocre middle, and um, anyone who pokes their head above the rest gets chopped down like a weed in the grass. So that's happening, and that's a problem. But then also, to the extent that they do still recognize excellence, um, I don't really trust their ability to actually identify excellence in the right way. Because I, I think it's I think it's better to have these kinds of programs and have different tracks for kids, so that the ones who are really excelling can move at a faster pace. I think it's better to have it than to not have it, especially especially given the reason for abolishing this stuff um, or or de-emphasizing it. The reason is that we don't want to hurt people's feelings, so it's better to have it. But even um, even when you do have it, and back when I was in school, it's, most of these things are were determined by, you know, standardized testing and that sort of thing. And there's a problem there too, because there are a lot of really intelligent, talented kids with very bright futures who just don't perform well on tests. They perform well academically, but they're not great testers. And the school system doesn't have any way of, um, at least with with the way it's currently constructed, they don't have any way of of analyzing kids or measuring them, aside from just that, are you able to regurgitate the information on this sheet of paper? And if you can't, then you know we, we lump you into one category. The people that can regurgitate are in another category. So there's always multiple layers to all the problems you have in public school, which is a good reason to homeschool. All right, let's uh, go to clip 14. Hey, SDW um i'm Heaven child my video coming in a little bit late um i really had to think about whether or not i wanted to further boost your ego by proving once again that you're always right so the other day i was listening to your show just driving around running my errands and i was wholeheartedly just disagreeing with you um regarding your comments about women being terrible drivers like i did not agree and i thought you were totally off base with that well i then
1: proceeded to hit the curb and once again i was shown that you were always right about everything so please don't cancel me for doubting you and um that's it spg for life uh
0: well that's good the first step is to realize that you have a problem though i i, I think um Maybe one way to solve this problem is to identify as a man. I mean, that that, that that's really the ultimate experiment here, I guess, is can a man, if, if we can a man really become a woman, can a, can a woman become a man? Well, if you if you change your self-identity and then discover that you suddenly drive without slamming into curbs, that might actually prove me wrong about the whole gender question. So That'll be interesting to experiment Uh, and that's uh, let's go to where's the one I wanted here. Um, Where is it? Uh, Twelve
1: Hi, I'm Casey and I'm 14 years old. I'm Audrey. I'm 12 and we're both homeschooled And we live in the Shandua mountains an hour away from the nearest grocery store because we live in the mountains there aren't roving bands of woke mobs patrolling the streets And obviously, my sister and I aren't on social media, so we don't get much hands-on experience debating liberals. Any suggestions for how we can improve our debating skills? Also, are you accepting interns at The Daily Wire? I guess that's all. Let's go Brandon and SPG for life!
0: So you guys are living the dream. Congratulations on that. I mean, th- that's how you know you're off the grid, by the way, if you're, if that you're off the beaten path is you can judge it by your proximity to a, a grocery store. Now, as far as tips on debating leftists, the, the first thing I, I mean, what I would say, honestly, is that, uh, you're what, 12 and 14. So, uh, you're living the good life out in the woods, in nature. You're away from all this stuff. You're not on social media, which I love to hear. So I, I would uh, actually say don't don't worry about debating the leftists right now. It's not part of your life. It doesn't need to be right now. There, there will come a time for it, but I wouldn't worry about it. You, you don't need to debate anyone. Enjoy your childhood. You only have it for a few more years. That's my, that's my advice. All right. Um, a couple of written comments. Here's one that says, Matt, what's your take on Wordle? I I don't know. I have no idea what that is. Maybe someone can explain it to me. I see it all over Twitter. I have no idea what it is. My pattern is that I usually figure out what a new fad is about about three minutes before it's no longer a thing. So the moment that I even figure out what it is, that means that uh, people are just going to move to the next thing. Um, Let's see. Heath says, how is it that the handsome and brilliant Matt Walsh doesn't have at least one million subscribers just for the sarcasm alone is enough to watch or listen? I'm, I'm being oppressed. That's why. Uh, Jasmine says, I have to say, I actually disagree with Matt when he said he would uh, make a new office and toss out the diversity and inclusion one in Virginia. Abortion disproportionately is directed at black and Latino communities and diversity is a great thing to have among the living. So we should definitely work towards more diversity in life by not killing the unborn in those diverse communities. Well, your your point, y- you exactly prove my point, I think, in the way that you phrase Um There there are a lot of very good reasons to not kill babies. And yes, I suppose that when you kill babies, you are decreasing diversity. But that is not at all the the point. The reason you shouldn't kill babies is because they're human beings. And it is a moral atrocity to intentionally and directly kill innocent and defenseless human beings. That's why you shouldn't do it. It's, It's a great moral evil. And so in trying to put this within the leftist framework, and use their language, you end up undermining your own point. There's just no reason to do it. Who cares about diversity? We're talking about mass murder here. So that's my point. So thanks for the comment. The next episode of Adam Carolla's comedy series Truth Yeller airs tomorrow. Adam is joined by Silicon Valley actor and comedian T.J. Miller, who wears a very short clip-on tie, and you got to tune in to see that. And he also takes no prisoners. Check it out.
3: We got a guy up here that has a shirt on that says, do not comply. Mm -hmm. And so I don't have, yeah, that's right. And that's nice because I don't have to ask if you've been vaccinated or if you care about the elderly or anything like that. I already know from your shirt. I'm like, he'd kill my grandmother and not think a second time about it. He would just go home, get high, and pop in the VHS tape of Adam's unborn children. (laughs)
0: So head to dailywire.com/slash subscribe and use code Miller for twenty five percent off your membership. Look out for the new episode with TJ Miller dropping tomorrow. Also, if it's true, it's probably not getting published. The Daily Wire is changing that with our own publishing wing, DW Books, and we're proud to be publishing two books that are actively fighting the left's monopoly on storytelling. The first is Twelve Seconds in the Dark by Sergeant Mattingly. The book is the true story of what really happened. In um, the night of the tragic Breonna Taylor shooting, Mattingly, a 20-year police veteran, takes readers inside his department's response and debunks the lies that have recklessly been shared with the public. So you'll find out the truth about that story. you got to pick up that book. Also, DW Books is publishing Fiery but Mostly Peaceful by Julio Rosas, who pulls back the curtain and sets the record straight on the Black Lives Matter riots that broke out across the country in 2020. Rosas, who was reporting from the ground during all this, gives his firsthand experience at the riots and exposes the media's attempts to convince Americans that the fatal and destructive riots were somehow peaceful. Uh, I'm grateful to have these brave truth-tellers on board and can't wait for you to hear their stories. Both are available to pre-order right now on Amazon or anywhere you buy books online. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. So Peter Dinklage is a Hollywood actor and uh, a little person, a person of short stature, an individual of less than average height, A human of smaller persuasion. I'm not sure what the politically correct term is these days. I think dwarf is still okay. Though for some reason, midget has been thrown out. In any case, you could choose which label makes you feel the most comfortable. What matters today is that Dinklage is bravely speaking out against the woke Snow White remake currently in the works over at Disney. Although his complaint is that it's not nearly woke enough, obviously. Now, as we know, Disney has been diligently focused on ripping off, degrading, mutating, mutilating, destroying all of their own classics. And not just their classics either. Even their middle-tier cartoons like uh, The Aristocats have been placed on the docket for remakes. In this case, a live-action remake, I'm told. It's not exactly clear how a a movie about talking cats could be live-action, but, you know, that's neither here nor there. Snow White is a little bit easier to reimagine in that format and to wokeify. So the new version will feature Disney's first Latina, excuse me, Latinx Disney princess. Uh, The non-white princess will play a character who is named Snow White literally because, according to the original fairy tale, her skin is white as snow. Now, recasting a character like this with a non-white actress, it's like recasting Black Panther with Chris Pratt in the the lead role. Of course, if Disney did something like that, there would be riots in the street. Al Sharpton would rappel down from a helicopter and hold a press conference denouncing them. It would be unthinkably offensive to cast a white actor in a traditionally non-white role Whereas it is unthinkably offensive to complain about the reverse happening. Those are the rules. And yet, none of this is enough to satisfy Peter Dinklage, who took some time on Mark Marin's uh, WTF podcast to complain about the insufficient wokeness of Disney's woke Snow White. Let's listen.
3: I was a little taken back by the very, very, they're very proud to cast a. a a latino actress as snow white yeah but you're still telling the story of snow still white, snow white. yeah seven dwarves sure so, look take take a step back and look at what you're doing there it makes no sense to me but oh so what, you can what, be, you're progressive in one way and then but you're still making that backward oh story of seven dwarves living <laughs> in a cave together what the are you doing man we you know have yeah, i yeah. have i done nothing to advance the cause <laughs> From my soapbox, I guess I'm not loud enough. Uh, Still, I don't know, what, stu- I don't know so- what studio that is, but they, but it was they were so proud of that, and all love and respect to the to the actress and to the people who thought they were doing the right thing. But I'm just like, you don't.
0: What are you doing? There we go. Snow White is offensive to dwarfs. Now the film, uh, I guess I, I don't know. The film commits some literal microaggressions, you might say. Though it must be noted that contrary to Dinklage's claims, the dwarves and Snow White, they don't live in a cave, first of all. They live in a charming cabin in the woods. They work in a cave, which is actually a mine, where they apparently discovered a rather lucrative mineral deposit. And they enjoy mining those resources, which is why they whistle while they work. But perhaps more to the point, the dwarves in fairy tales like Snow White, just like the dwarves in fantasy stories like The Lord of the Rings, are not disabled humans who suffer from dwarfism. They're mythical creatures. They're like leprechauns or elves in these stories. If you're going to be offended by mythical characters because of a vague physical resemblance, then Brian Stelter should be offended by Humpty Dumpty. Nancy Pelosi should be offended by Corella Deville. Bill de Blasio should be offended by the Muppets, but you don't see them complaining. Well, you do see them complaining, just not about that. Now this is all to say nothing of the fact that Dinklage has already played mythical dwarves in films many times. He also appeared in the movie Elf for just one scene where the whole joke was that Will Ferrell's character thought he was an elf from the North Pole. Now, this kind of moral hypocrisy is, of course, quite common among the woke, especially the older woke, many of whom just decided recently to adopt this stance over the past like five years after a lifetime of relative sanity. They've now decided that they could act a certain way and do certain things and make certain jokes and indulge in certain stereotypes and make money in certain ways, but nobody else is allowed to do it. Their views have evolved, and now they have no patience for anyone who fails to evolve along with them. People who carry on exactly as they did just 12 seconds ago are persona non grata. I mean, what if there were younger dwarfs, like Dinklage once was, who were looking forward to the Snow White remake because it would be their chance to break into the film industry, just as he did? Sorry, says Dinklage. That path was open to him, but it now has to be closed to everybody else. He's drawing up the bridge behind him. No one else, sorry, pulling up the ladder. He was the last one through the door, and he's locking it behind him. And then he's turning around, staring out the window, and sneering at everybody still stuck outside. And it looks like he'll get his way. The Hollywood Reporter has a Disney statement about all this. Quote, To avoid reinforcing stereotypes from the original animated film, we're taking a different approach with these seven characters and have been consulting with members of the dwarfism community. We look forward to sharing more as the film heads into production after a lengthy development period. A Disney spokesperson said in a statement to Hollywood Reporter, still years from release, Snow White will have cultural consultants just like other live-action films such as Aladdin and Mulan. The film has been been in development for three years. The studio has been reimagining the dwarf characters since the earliest stages. Yeah, we wouldn't want uh, stereotypes of mythical creatures. Perhaps next we can get a campaign to end the stigma surrounding vampires and werewolves. So to review, in the new Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, Snow White will no longer be Snow White, and the dwarves will no longer be dwarves. Nothing can be what it was before. All that existed in the past is now offensive simply because it existed in the past. Fairy tales especially must be abolished and rewritten, as Disney has set out to do, and this is why they're doing it. Well, the first reason they're doing it is for the money. The second is this, because fairy tales cannot be allowed to continue existing. Fairy tales commit the aforementioned sin of being very old and that's no good. Also, fairy tales deal with universal themes, and universal themes are problematic because they don't cater specifically enough to the particular concerns of individual victim groups. And fairy tales always revolve around a conflict of good versus evil, but that's also offensive because the categories of good and evil require moral judgment, and moral judgment is no longer allowed. Moreover, and the big, biggest thing of all is that fairy tales quite often feature a romance which is based in traditional notions of chivalry and gender roles. Obviously, we can't have any of that. Those are the defining elements of fairy tales, and very often the defining elements of stories in general. That's why we have to move past it. It's time we move past storytelling altogether. Abolish all films and television shows and burn all books. We can spend our time sitting in silence, staring at blank screens and empty pages. It's the only way to ensure that nobody is ever offended. But in the meantime, we have to say to Peter Dinklage that he is, of course, today, canceled. And we'll leave it there. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Godspeed. Well, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Also, tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. We're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show. Michael Knowles Show, The Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Wall Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Production manager, Pavel Vodowski. The show is edited by Robbie Dantzler. Our audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is done by Cherokee Hart. And our production coordinator is McKenna Waters. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2022. Today on the Ben Shapiro Show, wild swings, royal the stock market as the Federal Reserve considers new rate hikes. Plus, the Biden administration rolls back its VAX mandate finally. That's today on the Ben Shapiro Show. Give it a listen.